Hey everybody, today's episode of Something to Wrestle is brought to you by StarCast on Fight. That's right. Another StarCast is in the books, and so is the last live Something to Wrestle. Well, Bruce says it's not the last one, but it is the last one we have scheduled. So if you'd like to check out the last live Something to Wrestle, go check out StarCastOnFight.com. And there's tons of other shows there as well, including a panel with Arn Anderson for the first time on stage with a live mic after his release from WWE. Plus Tom McGee sits down with Bret Hart. We've heard incredible reviews about Dustin Rhodes one night after double or nothing. And of course the man called sting sits down with Tony Schiavone and Tony was quite busy. He also sat down with Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard to talk about, I quit. There's even a panel about remembering Owen. It goes on and on and on. Check it out right now at starcastonfight.com. All right. I know this is out of left field, uh, but I got to drive a Tesla the other day and it was my first time driving a Tesla. I've heard about Tesla, read about Tesla, seen about Tesla, never actually driven a Tesla until the other day. And, uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, I don't know that I'm going to get one necessarily, but now I know, I mean, I I had the opportunity to drive one and I had that opportunity. Thanks to Turo. It's the largest car sharing marketplace in the world where you can book any car you want from a community of trusted hosts from exotic cars to pickup trucks. Turo has the widest selection of cars available anywhere for whatever occasion. And you can download the Turo app. That's T U R O on the app store or Google play or visit Turo.com. Get $25 off your first trip when you sign up with the promo code WrestleJune at checkout. Of course, terms apply, but try our promo code WrestleJune. That's Turo.com. T-U-R-O. Welcome to Something to Wrestle With. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib? No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. It's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. And today, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to go ahead and start the show by telling you what's coming up next here on Something to Wrestle. We've already got the next several shows mapped out, and we're excited to go ahead and give you the rundown. Next week, right here on Something to Wrestle, we're going to do a watch-along from June 9th, 1997. 1997 was an interesting year for the company, and this show is no different. This is where we see Mankind attack JR uh, after a series of those sit-down interviews. It's something else. On June 21st, we're going to go revisit King of the Ring 1996. We're a couple of months into Shawn Michaels' reign as world champion, and he'll be main eventing here against the British Bulldog. We'll cover all things happening in the company in June of 96 on that episode. And don't forget, that's when on the other channel, It's become very apparent that Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are doing an invasion angle. On June 28th, we're going to cover King of the Ring 1999. We've had lots of questions about this in the main event. It's Steve Austin taking on the McMahons for control of the WWE as it hangs from the ceiling in a ladder match. And what was going on with that movement? We'll find out. 
on july 5th we're gonna do something totally different we're gonna do a watch along of the july 6th monday nitro this is of course where goldberg beat hulk hogan for the world title and meanwhile the wwf was offering up something called brawl for all and the dx parody of the nation it'll be interesting to get bruce's take on that show uh, and then on the 19th of july we've got good old jr we're gonna do a personality profile we haven't done one of those in quite a while and of course i'm looking forward to that one given the new show with jr grill and jr if you haven't checked that out it's available thursdays at westwood one on july 26th we're going to cover fully loaded 1999 we've got stone cold steve austin and the undertaker on top there on august 2nd we'll be back with the rock we're planning to cover years 2001 through 2004 and i think that's the day his new movie debuts on august 9th we're going to cover the debut of chris jericho on the 20-year anniversary we've been looking forward to this one almost from the beginning so that's august 9th 1999 of course back then that's when the clock ticked down to zero and we saw the debut of chris jericho and i can't wait to talk about that one on august 16th we're going to revisit SummerSlam 2004 which will be randy orton and chris benoit SummerSlam 99 will be the topic on august 23rd that was a three-way back then with austin mankind and triple h and then we'll wrap up august on august 30th with SummerSlam 1989 Man, 30 years since Hulk Hogan and Brother Brudah got in there against the Macho Man Randy Savage and Zeus. I absolutely love 1989. So that's what's coming your way this summer from Something to Wrestle. And we're excited that you're here with us today. Unfortunately, Bruce, as you have probably guessed, is in Saudi Arabia. So he's had quite the travel week this week. Uh, So what we're going to be airing today is something from our Something Else to Wrestle show where we covered AJ Styles last year. We've got lots of questions about will something else to wrestle return to the network? Well, we hope so, but man, those Firefly Funhouse sketches aren't going to write themselves. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm just saying Bruce is very, very busy right now, and uh, we, we hope to uh, put together another show later this year. But in the meantime, we hope that you enjoy this very special episode. If you missed it, here's your chance to hear all about AJ Styles. And even if you've heard it before, it's worth another listen. Thanks for tuning in, and we will be back here next week with brand new content, June 9th, 1997's Raw. But don't go watch it. Watch it with us. We'll see you next Friday at noon right here on Something to Wrestle. Now, let's get to AJ Styles. Hello, everyone. I'm Bruce Pritchard. And I'm Conrad Thompson. And this is something else to wrestle with. <laughs> wow. What? A week it has been. Uh, we've been through creative differences. We've been through all kinds of stuff. And I'm looking at you, Conrad, and, and you look a little red, a little burnt this week, if you will. Well, I don't know how I couldn't be after all the heat we got last week in our WWE CW episode. Uh, of course, our show didn't air on time last week over creative differences. Hopefully, you're seeing this on Wednesday this week. Uh, we might be pushing our luck today. Uh, we're continuing to sort of um, push and find the line. I think we found it last week, though, Bruce. What say you? Well, I found a lot of lines last week, just just saying. But, you know, it was extremely <laughs> controversial and got an awful lot of feedback. And it, it's it's funny because you have your fans. 
And and I have my fans, and, and they're both extremely passionate and very one-sided. So a lot of the feedback I got was very positive, and you're right, Bruce, you're right, Bruce. And you got a lot of response from those that felt that, go Conrad, not nearly as much as the positive I got is, is usually the fact, because I'm always right. But, man, I got an interesting phone call as well over the weekend that shed oh, yeah? even more light. Who called? Well, sir, if I may have a moment of your time, I would like to discuss some of the things that you discuss, sir. If I may have another volley. The one, the only, the advocate of one Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman himself, uh, called me this week, and he had a good chuckle, uh, enjoyed you know the show, and mentioned the fact that, because you know, Bruce, because you remember... I wasn't even there when ECW closed. It was already a dead brand before he came to work for WWE. So Paul just pretty much backed up everything I said as far as ECW being a dead brand. We revived it with a little DVD that did well with the WWE spin on it. Um, and then tried to do what we tried to do that failed miserably. Yep, after you killed it the first time, you killed it a second time, which was nice. Yeah, well, we didn't kill it. It killed itself. There just weren't enough people that were interested in it to actually watch it. Except no, for, there you was kept signing the top talent. You, you kept signing the top talent away from them, and then at the same time, you went onto their network and pushed them off their own network. That's what happened. Well, no, uh, let, let, we actually we took talent and paid their talent, and then the network said, "Hey, we don't have very many people watching this." We yeah, they, like they were developing. Show they were developing Rob viewers. Van Dam. Can you help us out? The Dudley Boys. You were developing the Goon and Mantar. So let's table this and let's talk about another dead brand today. Let's talk Ooh. about TNA. I can't believe we're actually doing this on the WWE Network. There's no chance this one airs on time either. Uh, no, it's all and, about. And actually, I was just going to say thanks everybody for tuning in this week to uh, <laughs> something else to wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard, and this, maybe we'll be back next week on this, Saturday this time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this might be our last episode. Uh, if you ever even see this, this this will be on a DVD somewhere. Um, Being let's talk around about the office right now as we speak, and the lawyers are going, no, 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 can't do that. So. We just gave you essentially what the show will probably become. Well, here's what it'll be. It'll be. And thanks a lot. Yeah. So AJ Styles, let's talk about it. And that's really what we're talking about today. The uh, champ that runs the camp, I think. Uh, he makes his wrestling debut in 1998 and even briefly has an appearance in WCW that I think maybe a lot of people have forgotten about over the years. But... After WCW goes under, he has an opportunity to try out for the WWE in 2002. He has a couple of dark match losing efforts against Hurricane and then Rico. And then a few months later, receives an offer to go work with the HWA, which is at the time a WWE developmental territory. But ultimately, he passes on that because it's not the right fit for his family. And then all of a sudden, a startup out of Nashville, Tennessee, makes their pay-per-view debut in June of 2002. It's NWA TNA, and AJ Styles becomes the face that runs the place there for almost a dozen years. So we're going to talk about AJ and TNA today. But first, Bruce, I want to talk about those tryout matches in 2002. Would that have been the first time you met AJ? 
that was the first time that I had met AJ, and AJ Styles was, I guess you would have to call him an independent wrestler at the time, and he was wrestling around the Georgia area, and he was making a name for himself because he, he was one of those guys that people were talking about, very much like going back and, and the CM Punks of the world and the Seth Rollins of the world and the uh, just those independent sweethearts. Kevin Owens is another one, you know, that everybody was buzzing about. AJ in 2002, everybody was buzzing about this young kid that could practically do anything. And Dean Malenko was a huge proponent of AJ Styles and wanted to bring him in, felt that he could fit in the light heavyweight division and felt that he would really be a good addition to the roster. And we thought, you know what, there may be something there, which led to the offer of him going in and working with our folks out in Ohio, which was uh, Les Thatcher and those guys, and thought maybe, you know, we, we could develop him and, and make him into a star. And he passed on it. He felt that wasn't something he wanted to do, and he, he was looking for that big break. In hindsight, is passing on developmental, I mean, that's the right move for AJ at the time, right? I mean, had he come in in 2002, he may have been lost in the shuffle. You know, this is maybe not the most popular thing to say, but guys like Paul London and Brian Kendrick did jump at that opportunity and never really had the run that a lot of people maybe thought they could have. AJ Styles sort of held out and winds up spending time in TNA, and then when he does come in, Comes in with a big splash. In hindsight, probably the right call, right? Um, again, timing is everything. And, and when you go back and you can look at it in 2020 vision, without a doubt, it was the right call for AJ Styles. However, I think that he might have been one of those guys at the time that broke, broke through. You never really know. Um, in 2002, I don't think that we, as a team, as a creative team, looking at talent, I don't know if he was something we were really looking for, and he really right. hadn't matured yet. So the best thing for him to do was go somewhere and get some more time under under his belt. Um, he was a hell of a talent. He really was. But he didn't have a whole lot of personality, and we felt that trying to pull that out of him was going to be tough. Well, and, and in fairness, you said Dean Malenko felt he could be an asset in the light heavyweight division. I mean, that's the kiss right. of doom right there. I mean, if you're saddled with that in 02, there's no way, you know, a year later you're working with a Kurt Angle or a Brock Lesnar. That just wasn't the way you guys were doing it at the time. Well, yeah, and Rey Mysterio was the exception to that rule. You know, Eddie, sure. Eddie Guerrero was another exception to that rule. So it, it was happening, but... They also had, lar especially Eddie, had larger-than-life personalities. And I'm not sure in 2002 that A.J. had that larger-than-life personality that would have made him another exception to the rule. Well, in fairness, Ray and Eddie had also really made a name for themselves in WCW, whereas right. A.J. had not yet had that opportunity. Hey, we haven't really talked about this. What percentage of guys pass on developmental deals? Um, you know, it's I'd probably say maybe 10%. Uh, because some people just feel that it's not for them. Some people are more comfortable being a big fish in a small pond and can go out and they like the freedom of working when they want to work and being being on top and being the big dog in, in their independent uh, environment. And they don't want to go. You know, not everybody wants to go to the show. So 
some people pass and, and move on, and then eventually they all seem to eventually come through. But uh, some people just don't want it. Some people don't want the, the stress of being in the show on a day-to-day basis. Any other big names, you know, that we might be familiar with now who once upon a time passed on a developmental offer? Wow. Um, I can't, I, I honestly, I can't really think of nobody that's a, nobody that's a big name outside of, of the WWE right now that I can put my finger on at all. Uh, Sammy Callahan went through the developmental process and, and he left. Um, Kenny Omega is probably the biggest star uh, outside of the WWE who's made a hell of a name for himself and is is essentially an independent and, and media darling, but I think he's done pretty damn well for himself. He was a part of developmental that has gone on to be a big star in other parts of the world. So there's there's a few. Yeah, there's definitely some exceptions of guys that can go out and make it. Well, I didn't mean guys who could go out and make it. I meant guys who had the opportunity to do it with the developmental territory and then said, nah, I'm good. Um. Well, again, I let's move on. I, I can't know. believe we're going to yeah. do this. Let's talk about TNA. Go ahead. Your first date with TNA is October 10th, 2010, which is a major pay-per-view for them. It's bound for glory. And before we talk about AJ, I guess I need to ask, how the hell did you wind up working for TNA? <laughs> I needed a job. I needed a job really, really bad. That's what it boils down to. Uh, I was out of work. I had been away from the wrestling business for two years. Because you were a dead you were a dead brand, right? You were I a dead a brand. Dead, oh dude. No, I was I was dead. I was buried. I was six feet under. They had put the dirt on top of me. There were like full bloom flowers on top of my grave. Um I was out. I was dead. I got a call from Eric Bischoff. And the first words out of his mouth was, uh, hey Bruce. Uh, what's, what's the heat? And, uh, do you, do you think you could work with Vince Russo? I said, yeah, there's no heat, man. I work with Russo. I have no problem with him. And that's what got that ball rolling. Uh, they asked me to come in and, and help out at television tapings to help produce pre-tapes and kind of give another viewpoint, uh, on the days that they are actually taping their television shows. So I came in as a freelance producer um, on 1010, and I came in at their pay-per-view, and then I started doing their TVs, just producing backstage vignettes and helping out where I could. So let's talk about, you brought him up, Eric Bischoff, Vince Rousseau, yourself. Who all was involved in creative at the time? What did that look like? At the time, it, it was mainly Vince Russo and a gentleman by the name of Matt Conway, I think, that were writing the television shows. Um, Terry Taylor was booking the house shows from the television tapings. Uh, Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan were involved in the creative as well. So that was, that was essentially your creative team that was in charge of the wrestling product uh, in 2010 in October. So when I came in, it was, I I was on the outside of that circle and I was just asked my opinion on certain things and I was asked to help produce segments for the television show. And that was it. Uh, There was no, 
There's really no more. I didn't have input in the storylines. I didn't have, you know, a say on anything. It was just like, this is what you want. I'm going to go get it for you. And that's how I looked at it. Well, let's just, uh, you know, this isn't a Bruce Pritchard and TNA episode, but that's not not the way it was the entire run. You you know, some of your run there, you did other things. When did that change and, and what did your roles become? Well, in in May of 2011, I was made the uh, vice president of talent relations, and Terry Taylor resigned during that time, so I took over all of talent relations. Um, Then later on in September, October of 2011, I was also uh, made, had the longest, craziest title, I can't even remember it, I was like executive vice president in charge of television, talent relations, and chief cook and bottle washer, basically. Uh, And that happened in in September, October of 2011 as well. So what that meant at that time, I went from overseeing all of talent relations and the day-to-day and the talent contracts and the booking of the house shows to overseeing all of the television product creatively and also dealing with Spike TV and all of those folks as well. Uh, that was working with Eric Bischoff, Vince Russo, Matt Conway, and, of course, you know, Hulk was involved as well at television. Chat me up about the difference between talent relations for TNA compared to talent relations for WWE. <laughs> wow. Uh, organization. And I think that the, the biggest difference was when you look at, you know, the top of the food chain. In WWE, you had Vince McMahon. In TNA, you had Dixie Carter. Unfortunately, beyond Dixie Carter was Panda Energy, which was owned by her mom and dad. And they owned TNA. So you never really could get to the top of that food chain. You never really could get to the top of the ladder to get anything approved or truly get a firm decision. And you didn't have the ability to make a lot of moves and to do anything without that. And in the middle of, in the middle of that, you had accountants and you had CFOs and, and people that would block you at every, every step of the way. So it was it was a lot more frustrating um, from a standpoint of people who did not understand the wrestling or entertainment industry uh, at TNA. So that was a big frustration for me because you're you're trying to run a wrestling company or you know whatever it was at the time versus you know on the other side at WWE you're running an entertainment company and you have your parameters and you can operate within those parameters. There were no parameters at TNA. As far as your vision of TNA, what were you looking to change, good or bad? I was actually, I wanted it to make money. And it had reached, it had reached a point where the way that they made money, and I, I got to tip the hat to Jeff Jarrett, because Jeff Jarrett always looked at that company as, how was he going to make money, and how is he going to make it profitable? And I think there came a time where it became, how do we beat the WWE, which was ludicrous to think of, especially at that stage. Produce a product, produce a good product that people are going to want to watch, give them an alternative to the WWE, and 
eventually, maybe you can get to the point where you're compete, actually competing with them. Then you can talk about beating them. But when you are at the stage that they were at, survive and thrive within the arena that you're good at. We had some really, really good young talent. However, they looked at the house shows as an opportunity to sell merchandise, and it was everything else that they worried about instead of, let's fill the arenas that we're in. And that was almost a second thought, and and there was not a promotion department. There wasn't a marketing department that knew live events, and that is what was missing to me, and I think that the the way that they went about making money was if we can get $500 here, I think that, you know, Eric Bischoff used to make the comment, you know, they're, they're stepping over dollars to pick up quarters. So that was the philosophy with them. And it was, it was just to me kind of ass backwards. Let's talk about TNA and AJ Styles, because when you first arrive, AJ is a part of a faction called fortune. What can you tell us about fortune? (laughs) <laughs> well, okay, it was it was four guys and Ric Flair, and they went around doing this a lot. So, you tell me. It, it, was, it was an attempt to capitalize off of the four horsemen, I think. And they had, at one time, I think they had six, six members of Fortune, and they still kept doing this all the time. I just thought it was a a bad and a cheap attempt at trying to recreate the Four Horsemen. They weren't the Four Horsemen. You had James Storm and Bobby Roode, who were beer money. Excellent, excellent tag team. Uh, From there, you had AJ Styles. And then you had Frankie Kazarian. Later on, they added Matt Morgan. They added Christopher Daniels. Um... It just became convoluted and very difficult to say, to understand who's in, who's out, what are they doing, and instead of trying to build the the team and or build that brand and build that talent, the vignettes sometimes just disintegrated into, hey, can we ice Ric Flair? Which you know, icing icing someone, which I learned there, was they find a. a that drink, the ice drink, Smirnoff ice. Smirnoff ice. Yeah. And if they find it, they got to chug it. So that's what the vignettes became. Instead of building talent, it was, hey, let's see if we can ice Ric Flair. And it's just, it was ha-ha versus, guys, let's, let's build talent, in my opinion. You know, the name you missed there, Douglas William, uh, of course, the old Doug Got about Williams. Doug. That we that we've all been familiar with. If you're an independent wrestling fan, what can you tell us about Doug? We I don't know when we'll talk about him again. Doug Williams was a British superstar that TNA had brought over, and he was part of you know that UK contingent with with Magnus and what have you. Doug Williams, one of the best workers I'd ever seen. I compare Doug Williams in a lot of respects to Daniel Bryan as far as his work, and very tough. He's that old-school wrestler's wrestler. Um, Plus, he had a very, very dry sense of humor. (sighs) I just thought he was misused a lot. I really and truly thought he was misused because 
He could cut a promo, and he could work in the ring, and he was believable in, in what he did. But he was kind of the fall guy. He was the guy in Fortune, and he was the guy that was used, well, if you're going to catch a win, go catch a win on Doug Williams. He's British. Nobody can relate to him. When I thought he could have been a tough guy and could have been used as a heel and been a tough guy and believable, and I think that people truly would have thought, like, for example, Doug Williams and AJ Styles would have been a hell of a program because they would have beat the shit out of each other. So that that's where I, I think sometimes they miss the boat on Doug. And I missed the boat on Doug later on, too. I mean, I really did. All right, all right. Let's take a time out right now to remind everybody that Father's Day is right around the corner. And, man, we have got the perfect gift for Father's Day for you. How about some Omaha Steaks? I mean, what dad doesn't love steak? Go to omahasteaks.com and enter our promo code WRESTLE in the search bar, and you're going to get 74% off an incredible Father's Day Steak Fix gift package. Now, this is a $235 value. One more time. A $235 value, and it's only $59.99. Now, you've got to use the promo code WRESTLE in the search bar, and you're going to get an incredible value. 74% off. Omaha Steaks delivers 100% guaranteed world-class steaks, burgers, franks, and more. Order now, and you'll get two filet mignons, two bold-top sirloins, two savory pork chops, two Omaha Steak Burgers, four massive gourmet jumbo franks, four crispy fried chicken steaks, all beef meatballs, four chicken breasts, four caramel apple tartlets, and a package of Omaha Steak Signature Seasoning. And right now, you'll even get an extra four-pack of the Omaha Steak Burgers. Order right now and get this exclusive Omaha Steaks Father's Day Steak Fix Package valued at an incredible 235 bucks. I can't believe they're doing this for just $59.99. Go to omahasteaks.com and type that promo code WRESTLE in the search bar. One more time, that's omahasteaks.com and type WRESTLE in the search bar. This is unbelievable. $235 value in this Father's Day Steak Fix package. You're getting it for just $59. You're going to look like a hero this Father's Day. And what dad doesn't love steak? omahasteaks.com and use that promo code WRESTLE in the search bar. Well, what they didn't miss the boat on was an opportunity to make AJ the breakout star of the group. Of course, before you got there, Flair was already managing AJ going back to early 2010. And when that happens, AJ at the time is the world champion. But right before you get there, uh, he winds up dropping that title to Rob Van Dam. What was the perception uh, from from the office standpoint of AJ? Was AJ perceived as a top guy? What were people saying about his run with the world title and his pairing with Ric Flair? You know, that's all happened by the time you get there. Tell us what the office thought of AJ as a top guy. Well, as far as when I, you know, I'm coming in brand new to the company. I don't know a lot, you know, not a lot. I did know a lot of the talent from before, but so much of the talent is young and new. I had never worked with AJ beyond his tryout matches for the WWE. And so immediately, you know, I'm hearing, I hear the negative and I hear that, you know, oh, 
you know, AJ, he, he just wants to wrestle his matches and do all these high spots. He doesn't listen. He doesn't want to change. He doesn't want to grow. He's a pain in the ass. You know, we're trying to build him into a bigger star, and he's bucking us at every every single opportunity. And the, and the feeling was that AJ just wasn't willing to do whatever it took to become a star. For example, they wanted AJ when Flair came in, and they wanted to basically make AJ a mini Ric Flair. They wanted AJ to bleach his hair blonde like Ric Flair. AJ didn't want to do that. They had wanted AJ to wear robes like Ric Flair. AJ attempted that, but it looked like something that his daughter... It looked like cosplay. It looked like cosplay. Perfect. Yes. I mean, there were were robes on eBay that people made, you know, emulating the Ric Flair robes that looked better than some of the robes that AJ came out in. I'm not picking on him, but it was horrible. Okay? (laughs) They look like crap. And you're a big robe guy. You especially love Ric Flair's robes. If you're going to, to try to emulate that, man, in 1970, in the 70s, Flair's paying several thousand dollars for these robes to have them handmade. And you're copying them in 2010 with something that costs $200. $10,000, $200. Um it just wasn't a good look, and AJ wasn't comfortable being Ric Flair. He didn't want to talk about you know being up all night with with the women. AJ's happily married and very religious guy. He didn't want that perception. Uh, didn't want to bleach his hair blonde. So AJ was labeled before I got there as a problem child. AJ didn't want. Anytime you suggest something new to AJ, he doesn't want to do it. Unless it's just wrestling a match with one of his buddies, he doesn't want to do it. I'd learned early on in my career that you try to judge people and how they treat you. And I tried talking to AJ and found that he was pretty receptive to things and had good reasons why he didn't want to do some of the things that was suggested to him. So now all of a sudden I'm trying to find a way to get into AJ and a way to pitch him ideas and, and try to do some different things with him, which he was open to, at least with me. Um, but with Vince Russo, man, they were oil and water. They didn't get along, and they, they fought constantly whenever Russo would bring something new to AJ. And Russo would complain, AJ would complain, and it, it would become a big just brouhaha. And I don't think that Eric and Hulk felt that they wanted to spend any time with AJ because they had pitched ideas that he had nixed. So it was it was a, a learning curve, and you just had to get in and, and find out for yourself, and that's what I was trying to do. So is it fair to say that both Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo were down on AJ Styles as a talent at this time when you come in? Yeah, I, I think that is fair to say. Felt that he, you know, couldn't cut a promo, very Southern, and that he was a spot monkey, for lack of a better term. 
Uh, I guess it's worth mentioning when you arrive to TNA, he's no longer world champ, but he is television champ. He winds up losing that title in December at their final resolution pay-per-view to Douglas Williams. In early February, Fortune would turn on Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan's group Immortal. In storyline, TNA would say, or Eric Bischoff would say, that TNA had no value until he and Hulk Hogan showed up. But AJ would counter, Bischoff, you've already killed one wrestling company. I'm not going to let you do that to TNA. And of course, in real life, they're playing off the fact that a lot of guys are sort of down on some of the decisions that Hogan and Bischoff had made, specifically with regards to talent. I know, like, the Nasty Boys being brought in Mm -hmm. is probably something that some of the older TNA talent, more established TNA talent, may not have been too excited about. Um, Can you speak to that, sort of the uh, changing of the guard, so to speak, with Hogan and Bischoff and maybe how it upset the old guard? Sure, because when when Hulk and Eric came in, they came in to uh, restart and to jumpstart this company and really take it to the next level. And that was a big catchphrase, take it to the next level. Um, Dixie Carter used to say, which Eric and I used to pull our hair out at, was, let's think outside of the box. What, what the, does that mean? Um, think outside of the box. So the idea was, from Hulk and Eric's standpoint, at this point in time, was that they were coming in to do what Eric had done at WCW early on with the NWO and completely turning things around in the NWO and WCW with some brand new, different thinking. Unfortunately, the brand new different thinking consisted of bringing in a lot of older talent uh, from WCW or WWE that had previously been stars elsewhere. And let's just bring them in like, woohoo, the Nasty Boys are coming in and, and guys like that that didn't really make a difference. Uh, because I think that the majority of the audience looked at them as retreads and looked at them as old, and they weren't getting anything new. The audience, for a long time, had been conditioned to look at TNA as, man, this is where the new stars, this is where the next crop of stars is going to come from. There's a few old stars that were sprinkled in there, but all of a sudden, the old guard was coming in and and trying to take over. In a lot of respects. So guys that had been there for a long time, uh, the younger stars who were continually promised, hey, it's going to be your time soon, felt that they, once again, were put on the back burner, uh, and now they're never going to get an, a, a shot, a real shot, at becoming stars because the Nasty Boys are coming in. Rob Van Dam's coming in. Um, dug in. I mean, just there were a lot of guys that were coming in that were immediately put on top because of their past association with WWE or WCW. Years later, AJ would say that he doesn't think that Hulk and Eric really understood what made TNA work before they got there. Was that fair to say? I would say it's fair to say. And I, I would also say that I think that Hulk and Eric were coming in trying to change it overnight and they were trying to yeah man they wanted to 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 spike it and no pun intended 
and get it get it to that level immediately. It's like you announce Hulk Hogan and immediately you're going to sell out. That wasn't the case in 2010. People wanted more and they they felt that with the two of them coming in that it was okay we're going to get the stuff that put WCW out of business versus what took WCW from a floundering business into a profitable business. And that's what Eric and Hulk were looking to try and do. Um, the difference was at WCW, they had a hell of a bankroll. They got a billionaire behind them and a strong company in CNN. Over here, you had... Panda Energy, that didn't want to put any more money into the company, that wasn't willing to spend the kind of money you need to spend to be successful sometimes. And you got to spend money to make money. Well, let's talk about February. Uh, this is when we finally see Flair turn on AJ. And believe it or not, that sets up a three-way match with Ric Flair, AJ Styles, and Matt Hardy. And Flair gets the win over AJ here. Uh, why was the decision made to uh, turn Flair on AJ? And most importantly, why was Flair wrestling again? That's a great question. Uh, that, that, I think that, you know, Rick, you know, Rick, uh, I think if Rick could wrestle today, Rick would be in the ring wrestling today. Uh, Rick didn't want to get out of the ring. And I, I don't believe that, that Rick really wanted to retire when he did retire. And he was feeling that, he could still do it. He could still go. So a match every now and then to him made sense. So if you give an inch, they're going to take a mile. And I think that's what was happening with Rick as far as Rick's involvement here. Um, I wasn't non-creative at the time, but I, I definitely did give my opinion on this particular match because I felt that it was an opportunity if AJ's ever going to do anything and you want to see, then put him over. But to have Rick go over AJ, I felt just put him where the perception was. He's never gonna he's never gonna be able to compete in their league. And that was a frustrating thing for me as far as AJ goes. Um I even started you know, I started believing it. Nah, that's the best AJ's gonna be. He can't cut a promo, he does flip flop and fly shit. Next. Let's run through some of the big pay-per-views at the time. At the Sacrifice pay-per-view in May, Tommy Dreamer beat AJ Styles in a no-DQ match that Meltzer gave a star and a half. Given the talent that we know AJ Styles to be, why the hell is he in a no-DQ match? Why the hell is he, Tommy Dreamer going over AJ Styles? Um, I, you got me. And it even goes back to where they had had, when I came in, it was a whole ECW resurgent. Um, so going back to what we did last week, the, the TNA ECW was, again, even worse. Um, dead brand upon dead brand upon dead brand. and And it didn't work, but yet there was still a feeling of, if we could just revive the ECW, man, because six people were chanting it. And AJ was the victim of that in, in that in that situation there. Didn't make a whole lot of sense. The next major pay-per-view, of course, the Slammiversary in June. 
Here we see Bully Ray beat AJ Styles in a last man standing match. Meltzer gave it four stars, and the highlight is probably a 15-foot high elbow drop off of a lighting stand. Uh, what do you remember about this match, and why is AJ on like a pay-per-view losing streak here? Uh, AJ was not only he was losing on television, he was losing everywhere, unfortunately. I, I think that AJ had become that guy that could go out and deliver great matches, but you beat him. And he, he wasn't he wasn't the guy that was going to be focused and be pushed. During this time, you know, Bully Ray had was being evolved into Bully Ray. I think he was still even Bubba at this time. But he was the bully. And in an agent's meeting and a production meeting, I made the comment, you know, God, you know, we used to call him Bubba Ray Dudley just instead of you know, Bully Bubba, call him Bully Ray, because it goes back to Bubba Ray, which most people knew him as, and he was a bully, and my vision of Bully Ray was the heel, the heel bully, strong as shit, because there was a huge anti-bully campaign going on at the time, and I wanted to be able to pitch to them that we have a bully that gets overcome, because he is a bully, and eventually, you take that strong heel that I felt Bully Ray could be, in which I thought he did do a hell of a job as a single heel in TNA, turn him, and now you've got the bully doing anti-bully commercials and doing that campaign. And it, it would take them outside of that TNA bubble and outside of the wrestling bubble. And I thought it was a pretty nice pitch. I know Bully at the time wasn't... Uh, big on being, how the, how the hell can I be a baby face? Um, it's like, you are a baby face. <laughs> you know, you're a tough son of a bitch. You go out there, you beat people up. What's the hate? Um, unless you know them personally. Um, so it was, it, it was a ongoing deal. And unfortunately, AJ was that guy to get people over. Okay, Bruce, we need to take a time out right here to tell everybody how to get their dick real, real hard. We're talking about BlueChew.com. Of course, they're our tag team partner. That's blue like the color blue. And BlueChew brings you the world's first chewable. And it's got the same FDA-approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. So you know it works. You can take this stuff anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they can work up to twice as fast. So you're ready whenever you need to be ready. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for anybody who wants a little... Uh, a little boost, a little confidence boost to enhance their performance. Check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So you skip the in-person doctor's visit. You skip waiting in line at the pharmacy and there's no awkwardness. Uh, they're made right here in the USA. And since BlueChew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And right now we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free. When you use our promo code WRESTLE, all you need to do is pay $5 shipping. Once again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, BlueChew.com, and the promo code is WRESTLE. I want to reiterate here, you're trying it for free, so why wouldn't you? BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we can't thank them enough for sponsoring the podcast. BlueChew.com, promo code WRESTLE. Try it today. You'll be glad you did. 
Destination X is a pay-per-view that went down in July, and we finally see AJ get back in the winning column. Here, he goes over Christopher Daniels in a match that Meltzer gave three and three-quarter stars. And behind the scenes, these guys are such good friends in real life, they even name their kids after one another. Uh, this has to be something AJ enjoys. She talked about he just wants to wrestle his friends. Well, this is it, and the result is a pretty phenomenal match, is it not? It, it was, and this was an example of kind of, you know, you you say it enough times, it'll become reality. And that was kind of, I think, the feeling on Russo's part that AJ had pitched so much, you know, give me Daniels, give me Kaz, that we'll have these great matches that Russo's like, fine, I'll put you with your friends and, and let's see what happens. And they tore the house down and they stole the show. I think that going back, and, and we'll probably get to it in a little bit, but eight between AJ Kaz and Daniels, they they were tight. You throw Samoa Joe into that into that mix. They were all really really tight, good friends. They liked working with each other. Kaz and Daniels, and Daniels had this horrible reputation, man, of of, of being a pain in the butt, stirring things up. What I found with Daniels was he was outspoken, which I liked, and he always had ideas for a lot of different people, and he had a big mouth. As long as you can manage that and he comes to you and you gain his confidence, he had some great ideas. All of those guys did. And they they were, to quote Dixie Carter, out of the box, outside of the box. And it was worth trying sometimes because something is better than nothing a lot of times. And if they were entertaining us, then I knew it would entertain the audience. So... Both Eric Bischoff and I started listening more to, probably more to Kaz and Daniels than anybody else, and going, okay, let's try some of this shit. See if it works. And I think it did. I thought that it it was some really entertaining stuff, and it was personal. We'll get to one of their ideas in a minute, but first let's talk about Bound for Glory. AJ's working with Christopher Daniels again here, this time in an I Quit match. Meltzer gave it a star in three quarters. He didn't like it nearly as much as their prior pay-per-view bout. Is it just me, or does TNA have a ton of gimmick matches here? So far we've just ran through No DQ, Last Man Standing, I Quit. It feels like if AJ Styles has a match on pay-per-view, it's got to be a gimmick. Bro, you need more gimmicks. Um, yeah, that seemed to be, if, if we could add something on a pole, we'd have something on a pole too. It, it was very gimmick and very laden with a lot of gimmicks that weren't always necessary, if you will. So, yeah, but I thought I completely disagree with Meltzer because I enjoyed their I Quit match. It becomes personal making someone quit. They they worked it early on so that you could set the, the tone and the pace for the match. Trying to make your opponent quit. A lot of times in these I quit matches, nobody ever goes for a submission. That was the first thing that AJ and uh, Chris did. So I thought it was a damn good match. Good storytelling. Uh, and that's they worked well together because they liked each other. Uh, AJ finally gets a title shot, this time against Bobby Roode at the Turning Point pay-per-view in November. He's unsuccessful here, but the match earns two and three-quarter stars from Dave, and uh, they come back the very next month at Final Resolution in an Iron Man match because we need another gimmick, uh, and the guys go to a 30-minute time limit draw. Uh, what would you think of Bobby Roode as world champion, 
And why did the office think AJ was not the right guy at this time? I still didn't. I still didn't believe that AJ had the personality to pull it off, frankly. And I did think that Bobby Roode was the guy. I thought that Bobby Roode was. Nobody expected it. Nobody called it. But if you talk to Bobby in the back, and you talk to Bobby in the dressing rooms and, and before the shows, Bobby Roode, it was an entertaining guy. But he he believed in himself so much, and. I just felt that, man, this guy could be that old-fashioned, right kind of heel champion. Um, And plus, getting him away from James Storm and making him a single, making both those guys a single, see who was going to swim and who was going to drown, well, it was the right time. We, We needed them as singles. So as far as Bobby Roode goes, we all felt that he was the guy and the next guy to come up. As far as AJ, I just didn't have the confidence in him, promo-wise, to be able to carry across a story for any length of time. To put them together right away, it was a way to get Bobby over by beating someone that was a TNA original and a TNA stalwart that people viewed as, you know, the guy you got to beat in TNA. And I knew that AJ would give Bobby great matches. And that's why we did that. Around Christmas, Mike Tanay announces on Impact that Fortune is now defunct. So that's the end of Fortune. Uh, why did you guys decide to mercifully kill this thing officially? I mean, the guys had already been wrestling each other, so it's not that big of a shock. But this is the official end of Fortune. Yeah, because it was already dead. <laughs> it was every you know they were already in fighting. They they weren't working together anymore. It made it made no sense. But it was, and that was actually an Eric Bischoff call. It's like, good God, just announce it that it's, they're defunct. They are no more because sometimes, you know, they would refer to themselves as fortune or the commentators would refer to fortune. It's like, they haven't been fortune in forever. Just announce it, kill it. It's dead. They're defunct. Move on. Next. You know, let's, let's get to their, to their individual careers and go to the next chapter. Uh, let's talk about Mike Tanay. I don't know when we'll talk about him again. What do you think of Mike as an announcer, and why don't you think he's ever had an opportunity with WWE? Well, um, quite frankly, I, I don't think that Mike had the look <laughs> for WWE back in the day. Mike, Mike was, even in his younger days, Mike looked older. But Mike is an, infor- I mean, he's an encyclopedia. I mean, the information just, you ask him a question, spews out. If you ever wanted somebody to do a documentary, Mike Tanay is your guy. I thought that as far as play-by-play, he wasn't the best play-by-play guy in the world. However, I think that he is one of, if not the best, analyst guys in the world because of what he brings to the table. Mike views it differently, and Mike brings out points that are Interesting about a talent that you may not have thought about, or interesting about a match that most people don't know. He's an encyclopedia in that way. One of the greatest human beings. As far as who do I want on my team, I want Mike today on my team. He's going to be one of the first people to show up and one of the last people to leave. He will do any and everything that you ask him to do. No questions asked. He will make suggestions. He speaks up. Um, If I were running... A wrestling company, Mike Tanay would be 
if he would come, uh, Mike Tanay would be on the staff because of what all he brings. And I felt that TNA had put him in that role of play-by-play guy because they had nothing else. Um, to use him as an analyst and use him as a producer, to me, that was his strong point. Here's something I've always wanted to ask about. In uh, March of 2012, WWE decides they want to put Ric Flair into the Hall of Fame again for the second time. Of course, he went in in 08 as an individual, and here in 2012, they want to put the Four Horsemen in. Now, the trouble is, Ric Flair works for you guys at the time at TNA. So a deal is made, and I have to assume, given your relationship with the WWE, you were probably involved in that deal. What can you tell us about that? Well, I get a phone call one day. Uh, hey, Bruce, it's Johnny. Hey, how's it going? Uh, got a question for you. When, uh, now listen, this is no more than this. We're, we're going to pay him this. We've got something for Ric Flair. I can't tell you what it is. But I'd like to talk to you some more. <laughs> okay. What is it? <laughs> and Johnny went on to explain that they they wanted Rick for the Hall of Fame. But he wouldn't tell me if he was inducting someone or if he was being inducted himself. It's really special. And I thought, if Rick gets wind of this, which... Chances are he probably already had. There was going to be no stopping Rick. And I started thinking of ways to use it to our advantage. Um, so I went to Dixie. I said, hey, WWE called. They've got something for Rick at the Hall of Fame. It's a one-off. It's one night. He won't be on their TV. He won't be a part of any of their storylines. It's an appearance at the Hall of Fame. That's it. They want to know if, if there's room to talk before we go any further. Is there room to talk? I think that we should do it. She said, yes, definitely. Find out what it's all about. So I went back and they explained to me what they wanted to do. They wanted to induct Rick into the Hall of Fame as a member of the Four Horsemen. They were inducting the first group and thought it would really be cool if Ric Flair could be in it. I thought it would be cool, too. Dixie thought it'd be cool too. And I started thinking, it's like, okay, they're getting Rick, but what are we getting? And I went back to Dixie and said, hey, what do you, you know, what do you think as far as if we did some kind of a trade? Because I, I don't want money for Rick because I know what they're paying him. It's, you know, it is what it is. Um, what do you want? She says, well, could we get, you know, a talent? Could we get something? And immediately, you know, she wanted John Cena and so on and so forth. That wasn't going to happen. And, no, actually, I'm, I'm ahead of year. But the first time, yeah, she went back and she goes, do you think we could get Christian? And when I said Christian to Johnny Ace, he said, how long do you want him? <laughs> Bless his heart. And I love Jay to death. So we made, you know, that was the deal. It was, they get Ric Flair for a night, we get Christian for a night. Simple. It's a trade. It's a one-night deal. They get him for a uh, Hall of Fame, we get Christian for a pay-per-view. Similar situations. 
Then the lawyers get involved. And the wannabe lawyers get involved. And... Hey, WWE, it became a pig... Um, it was Johnny and Vince and I had come up with a very simple agreement. You get this guy for this, for this time, get this guy for this time. We pay your guy this, you pay our guy that. Done. Then legal papers start going back and forth. And it was a cluster that you wouldn't believe. So now comes the day that uh, it's going to be myself, Johnny, Vince, uh, our lawyers, and their lawyers on a big conference call. And we're going to hash this out, simplify it, because Vince was at the point of, you know, damn it, get the lawyers out of it. Just make it easy. How hard is it? Um, same thing I thought. So I've been on the road, I fly home, I get up in the morning, I have the preliminary call with our attorney, I'm not feeling well, I go and lay down, and lo and behold, next thing I know, I'm in the hospital. <laughs> uh, and, and essentially, this entire situation gave me a heart attack. Wow. So that was the date of my first heart attack, and uh, it was crazy. And somehow, let me... Well, I'm going to give you some advice here first, Conrad. Um, just, just a pro tip to anybody that ever has a heart attack or goes into the hospital and you're on morphine, have your significant other or anyone who is in charge of your phone take it away. Do not, do not lay in a hospital bed with injections of morphine going into your body every couple of hours and have your cell phone. I called some folks during that time. I called Vince at Madison. Vince was at Madison Square Garden, and I called him, and he called me right back. Pal, I couldn't understand you. Yeah, it was great. Take the phone away. But needless to say, yeah, we finally worked it all out and made it simple. Um, I think Vince felt bad. His lawyers gave me a heart attack, and they made it simple, and we got it done. And Flair got to go be in the Hall of Fame, which I thought was good. It was great for Rick. Rick was going to do it anyway. He would have breached his contract to go and do that. I know he would have. So let him go do it. What does it hurt? It gets a TNA guy on WWE programming. How does that hurt? Can you imagine the WWE putting TNA or anything to do with it on their network or anything like that, Conrad? Oh, are we still talking? Uh, <laughs> I thought we were doing the J.J. Dillon podcast there for a minute. So in late April, let's get back to A.J. Styles. Uh, Daniels and Kazarian start teasing that they have a secret about A.J. Styles, and it's revealed on May 10th that they have photos of A.J. with Dixie Carter together. Uh, all right, Bruce, sort of walk me through this. Is this one of those Daniels and Kazarian ideas that you were talking about? Well, the germ of the idea was mine. AJ took it to the next level. Um, there was so much talk of, of how uncooperative AJ was. And to be able to get AJ out of his shell and give him something to sink his teeth into, what if AJ had an affair with somebody? 
So I sat down with AJ one day at, at Universal Studios, and I pitched him. He took that, and he basically took it one step further and and came up with this scenario, and we, we tweaked it from there to where the idea was that people thought he was having an affair with Dixie. And when it's revealed that he's not having an affair with Dixie, all's good in the world, and then you do, I even hate that I'm admitting this, the swerve, and it was, well, AJ's really having an affair with Dixie's niece. Which also wasn't true. It was all innocent shit. But from the outside looking in, you could be convinced that AJ was having an affair with someone. All right, let's let's just keep the storyline here going for a minute. At the Sacrifice pay-per-view in May, Kurt Angle beats AJ Styles in a four-star match. And after the match, Daniels and Kazarian attack Styles, but of course Angle makes the save. At the time, I think it's probably fair to say AJ and Angle... Two of the very best in the world when the bell rang, right? Yes, absolutely excellent. Excellent match, and you could put AJ and Kurt together still today and have one of the best matches on the card. Towards the end of May, Daniels and Kazarian play a phone message on Impact where Dixie was saying she was happy AJ was coming and that her husband, Serge, wouldn't be around. This brings out a distraught Dixie who's visibly upset uh, grabbing the headset and yelling for the truck to turn it off. Uh, and this leads to the big payoff in June with Claire Lynch. Uh, Meltzer described this entire angle and this big payoff here as, quote, mind-blowing bad. And AJ says that the original idea is really something him, Kazarian, and Daniels came up with, but TNA essentially ruined it. Claire was supposed to be a blind knockout beauty, uh, and the niece of Dixie Carter, not Olive Oil, which is really where they found this person to play Claire Lynch. I believe her name is Julia, and um, they found her at Universal Studios playing Olive Oil. We'll talk about that a little more later. Catch me up, though. What can you tell us about this angle with them playing the phone message, Dixie's involvement, the original idea being this... Blind knockout who has some substance issues, but instead, it's a girl who plays olive oil. Well, we did. We actually did a casting call for it, and I think maybe in AJ's head, he wanted a, a blonde, buxom young lady to play that part, but that was never something that we were looking for in the casting call. We were just looking for a young female to play the part of Dixie's niece, and the idea behind it was we didn't want her to be this knockout. We didn't. And like I said, AJ may have wanted that, but we didn't. And she, she went through the whole casting process and we had one day to cast and basically dump her into the storyline. We did it at universal studios one day, the next day she was on TV so we had to do something that was fast, and we had to do something that we could get done as far as the contract relatively quickly and make the agreement done, short-term deal. So that's how Claire Lynch came to be. But it was it became an evolving storyline and one that, from my vantage point, it was where that aha moment that A.J. had chops and A.J., AJ got into the story, maybe because he was very he was vested in it, and some of it was his. 
So he was living it, and he was he was feeling it, and the stuff I thought came out excellent. But it let me know in that time frame that AJ was somebody that could he could cut a promo, he could tell a story. And the story here is, of course, we thought AJ was having an affair with Dixie. Actually, AJ's having an affair with Dixie's niece, Claire Lynch. Uh, let's keep going here. In early August on Impact, there's a baby shower for Claire Lynch, and everyone is giving her presents, the standard presents you'd expect at any baby shower, like AJ Styles action figures and TNA t-shirts and TNA title belts. Yes, this is real, folks. Bruce, what's your favorite gift for a baby shower, and why is it a shirt from BrucePritchard.com? Well, because you can get a nice little dupe, dupe, dupe shirt from BrucePritchard.com. Look, folks, I've got a message for you here. Just get these shirts over at BrucePritchard.com, because I'll also give you a call if you do. But absolutely anything there. And every baby needs a dupe, dupe, dupe fanny pack, and they're easy to get. Uh, so in late August, it's explained that Claire is not here because she's uh, been hospitalized with pregnancy complications. So her attorney shows up instead, and she says that this has all been a ruse. Claire was approached by Daniels and Kazarian to blackmail, blackmail Styles that she was never pregnant, but she's in the hospital for pregnancy complications. And the photos that she had were taken after she put a sedative in AJ's Coca-Cola. <laughs> this is real life. AJ doesn't drink. Yeah. Um, I guess the story here is the girl you had played Claire Lynch winds up quitting over harassment from TNA fans online. Uh, uh, who the hell booked this silly shit? I mean, you've got the best wrestler in the world, and this is what we're doing with him. Well, no, hang on. He was involved in a, in a storyline with the owner of the company, and the storyline was actually good and had people talking. You know, obviously your your loud minority is always going to be the loudest and, and the negative. The fact of the matter is is that people were interested in the storyline. It was doing well in quarter hours back when quarter hours meant something. And people were interested in that story. What happened was this young lady, who's an actress, all of a sudden people found her on Twitter. And, I mean, the hate mail came in. And she didn't know how to handle it. She took it all very personal. And it was wrestling. It was the, the audience believed it, and they hated her. They hated her for doing that to AJ. And she couldn't separate the two and didn't understand. We kept trying to tell her, you're an actress. If you play a heel on TV in a soap opera, hopefully the audience is going to hate you. You're playing a heel on a men's soap opera, the audience is going to hate you. So deal with it. Embrace it. It's too much for her. She couldn't do it. So right in the middle of the damn thing, we've got to end it because we, we have no more Claire Lynch. Sucked. After this, AJ takes a well-deserved break, and when he comes back in early 2013, he's sporting a new look, and you guys are airing vignettes of him here, showing how much he's changed, and uh, talking to his wife and an old childhood friend. Talk to us about this new look and those AJ segments. Well, hell, he came back with new hair. All of a sudden, you know, he comes back, he's got hair down to here, and... uh 
Well, he does now anyway. But, yeah, he grew out his beard, and the idea behind it was to get a bitter AJ. To get, to get the guy that I think that Hulk, Eric, and Russo had perceived him. This bitter, nasty guy that, that thought he was the greatest thing in the world and never got the break. So he goes away for a while. He needed a rest. He wanted some time off, and he was had nagging injuries. Give him the time off and let him come back. You know, come back with a new look. Go away, learn a new hold. And so when AJ came back, man, he's got this new look. He's a different guy, and he's a surly, bitter guy at this point, character-wise. Um, when AJ comes back, there's a new faction trying to recruit him. Aces and eights, which went on to be a really big part of TNA for a long time. What can you tell us about aces and eights? Aces and eights was something that uh, Eric and I pretty much came up with, and we were we were looking for a faction, and obviously you can compare it to the NWO, but we were looking for something that you know hadn't been done with the the motorcycle club deal, and just thought it would be cool. But the idea, same thing. Each each week you would get a new member, and you would get surprises interspersed. Not all of them would be surprises, but the idea was that Aces and Aids had infiltrated TNA and they were everywhere. They were agents, they were referees, they were uh, previous stars that had come back and you create this club and this group that is just beating the hell out of everybody until finally, you know, that babyface group comes back led by Hulk Hogan to come back and destroy Aces and Aids. Your last pay-per-view with the company, I believe, was Slammiversary in June of 2013. And on that show, uh, Kurt beat AJ in a four-star match, according to The Observer. And I guess it can never really hurt you to lose to a talent like Kurt Angle. Uh, but why have AJ lose here again, especially after he's taking a break, coming back with a new look? It feels like he just can't get the win over Kurt Angle. Is management still not really sold on AJ at this point, in your opinion? No, part of the story was was that he couldn't beat Kurt Angle at that time. And that, that's kind of where we were going to go also on AJ's comeback and the whole Aces and Eights story. And that it's that one thing that AJ can't overcome. That's Kurt Angle leading to hopefully a match at the October uh, pay-per-view. And th- again, we're talking back in May or June for that match with Kurt and AJ where AJ finally gets that win over Kurt Angle. And then you can start building AJ. Well, of course, you're out of there in July 13. But before we talk about your departure, let's talk a little bit about contracts, because I know you were a part of talent relations. And famously, TNA was not able to re-sign AJ Styles here. Meltzer reported in late August that Styles only had a few weeks left on his current contract. And he says the company's cutting costs and really needs him to take a pay cut. And allegedly... AJ at this time is the highest paid guy on the roster who doesn't have a WWE background. In fact, Dave wrote, believe it or not, reports from WWE say they are not interested in him, although that could always change. WWE has a policy to not take wrestlers from TNA. What a quote there. In early September, he wound up signing a three-month extension just to get him through the end of the year. And during that run, Dixie Carter would turn heel on TV, not just in real life. Uh, she would start feuding with AJ Styles here. Sort of art imitating life, I guess. 
What can you tell us about AJ's contract in the summer of 2013? Because I think a lot of people look at that as a pretty critical moment in TNA's history, and certainly AJ's as well. Well, it, it was critical. It was huge. But if you go back and look at the history of what had taken place, and first of all, as usual, Dave Melcher is completely incorrect as far as AJ having the highest of uh, someone that wasn't a WWE star. Completely false. And as you Wait, who was correct. it then? I'm who sorry? Was who was there it? other people. I don't get into money. I'm not going to get into No, no, no. I'm not, but there were, I'm not there asking. were at least two others that were higher. That had no WWE background. Correct. Okay. Yep. Uh, they're both in WWE now, so I'm oh, mentioning well, names. But okay, uh, gotcha. so AJ, a year in advance of his contract coming up, the rollover dates coming up. I had gone to AJ and I'd gone to to his agent and I said, "Hey, we'd like to sign him up for another couple years." Here's the offer. And they balked at the offer. We went back and forth a little bit. We came to an agreement on on kind of a downside guarantee that AJ could live with. When I took that back, the feeling was, why are we doing this now? I feel that if we can get closer, and this was Dixie, I feel if we can get closer to the time of... AJ's contract, that we can get him for less than that. I can't commit that much to him. I said, but here's the deal. If we commit this much to him right now, he can he can make more than that, but he isn't going to come for less. He's not going to stay for less. And this is a good deal for the company, and it's a good deal for AJ. And AJ was cool with it. Then I basically had to pull the offer back. It went on, time went on. I said, we got to get AJ. AJ six months away. We need to sign AJ. And I was like, we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. Well, uh, I was gone in July, and his, his contract was up in, I guess, October, whatever that was, and they still didn't, didn't have him signed. And I, in AJ's mind, it became, they don't want me. They're not making an, a serious attempt to keep me, so why should I make any serious attempt to stay? So AJ and I are, are, are talking about it. We did a TV in, in Georgia somewhere, and it's just AJ and I in a dressing room. And, and I told him, yes, AJ, I, I do see you. As a matter of fact, I see you as the champion of this company, but I don't feel it. I don't feel that you believe you can be champion. And, man, Alan Styles cut a promo on me that made me believe. The AJ Styles you see right now at WWE is the guy that I saw in that dressing room that day. He was passionate. He was pissed. He he believed every word that came out of his mouth and explained to me why he was the best and why he was the only option that I had. And I went, holy shit. Now that guy is money. And that's who AJ became. And I remember I told him that night, I said, we're going to make that guy happen. And he was pissed. He was, he was pacing during the meeting. But they, they dropped the ball, man. They dropped the ball big time because he, he was pissed that he felt he had been ignored. And then after I left, I don't think anybody approached him until it was the very last minute where AJ held all the cards. If we had done it a year in advance where we both had time 
and where we had basically come in the middle and had agreed, it would have been a different story. In a sense, um, this makes perfect sense for TNA and maybe in others, none. AJ Styles beat Bully Ray for the world title in October at Bound for Glory. As a reminder, you know, with his contract ending and him being champion, this is the exact same storyline that CM Punk had ran with Vince McMahon two years prior in the WWE. Except here, the champion's contract is not really renewed. You know, by the time we saw it with CM Punk, he had a contract. Not the case here with AJ. Uh, TNA wants to cut AJ's pay, allegedly, by over 60%. It's not going to be guaranteed. It's going to be a per-appearance deal. And obviously, that doesn't work for AJ. So he's out of here. He makes his last appearance after the first of the year. He agrees to stay through there and drop it to Magnus. Uh, and that ends nearly 12 years of AJ Styles in TNA. And I think in, in hindsight... I mean, this might be the beginning of the end for TNA. Is that fair to say? Well, I, look, I, I hope that it's never the end for them. I hope that they stay in business, and I hope that they thrive and prosper. But I think well, that let, let, me, let me clarify. I mean, from a Dixie Carter standpoint. Like, Probably from a Dixie so. Carter standpoint. This yeah, you, last, you lost your last big star, you know, right. that really meant something. That was homegrown, that, that truly meant something that you could have built that company around, especially with the tweak in his character and everything else. Um, AJ, to me, was a huge loss for them. I, I can't speak to the negotiations of what happened in the end because I wasn't there. I, I can speak to AJ's frustration of it that, you know, there, there was a part of him that. I, you know, I don't know that, I almost said that I think there was a part of him that may have wished he had signed a year before, but there was also a part of him that was so relieved that he didn't sign that year before that this was enabling him to go on out and prove himself. And I was talking to AJ during that time, just in general, uh, about couple different projects I, that I had and other things going on in the wrestling business. And he was, you know, he was in a good place. He was confident that if it didn't work out at TNA, he was going to make it work out somewhere else. So he was steadfast in his belief of what he was worth and was not willing to compromise and take less at that time. And I said, you know what? The only way you're going to find out is to do it and to leave. And he did. And, and he went on to New Japan and, and did some other incredible stuff. So good for him. I think he did. I think it was the right move for AJ Styles. Incredible stuff indeed. He enjoyed great success with Ring of Honor. He became the IWGP world champion for New Japan, which was a big deal. Obviously did some stuff with a club over there that, you know, and... You know, then he makes a debut, unlike any other, at the Royal Rumble and has had a run in the WWE now that I don't think anybody can compare with as far as a debut and all the success he's racked up and all the shows he's headlined. Uh, so clearly, you know, the talent spoke for itself. You know, years later, AJ would say Jeff Jarrett leaving TNA and his departure from the company really made, you know, besides the money, 
right. this an easy decision for AJ. Can you speak to AJ's relationship with Jeff Jarrett? Because Jeff is probably one of the guys who gave AJ his first big break. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, and AJ looked at Jeff as a mentor, and <laughs> Jeff will love this. AJ looked at Jeff as a father figure. Um <laughs> But, but no, uh, Jeff Jeff was the first guy that really saw something in AJ and gave him that platform to showcase his talents. So there was a bond there, and they got along great, and Jeff gave AJ that platform. Go on out and prove it, man, and make your mark. He was also there to encourage him all along the way when AJ would get down and just like, what the hell is, is happening here? So... Jeff's leaving and Jeff's departure from the company, and that was during that time that where AJ and, and Vince Russo and everybody was was pretty much kind of flustered and, and floundering. No one believed in AJ, and finally he came back around to prove himself. and And you can't deny talent, man. You can't. So, if you had to sort of put a bow on this episode for us, Bruce, what do you think AJ Styles' legacy will be when it comes to TNA? Uh, I think he will be the, I think that AJ was the one true homegrown TNA star that made it big. And that's no offense to the Bobby Roods of the world, the Samoa Joes of the world, um, Eric Young, any of those guys. I think AJ, you know, started in TNA and made it big and was was their flagship for so many years. I think that's he's going to be known as the flagship of TNA for many, many years. And who knows, before he gets out of this business, he may be the flagship of WWE as well because he's definitely brought a different style and a whole hell of a lot of followers right now as well. AJ's at the top of his game, and we hope to even be in the game next week here on Something <laughs> Else to Wrestle because... After the controversy we had last week, I feel like maybe we were pushing our luck talking so much about another promotion here on the WWE Network. But if we're back, we'll be tickled to be back here with you on something else to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together... It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.